chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 14, and 1 Timothy chapter 2. There it is. Came back on. Galatians 3, 1 Corinthians 14, and 1 Timothy chapter 2. By the way, uh, between now and uh, the AGM on the 15th of July, uh, as you know, I'm not really doing a series right now. And so I thought what I would do instead of a series is um, a few uh, kind of independent sermons, if you will, on controversial topics. And so if you have a controversial topic, that you'd like to hear me preach about on a Sunday morning if you want to send me an email uh, or write it down on a piece of paper and hand it to me. Uh, I will look at that. I've got it several already, uh, but uh, there might be something that's on your heart or mind that you want to hear something about. So write that down and give it to me as soon as possible. And uh, who knows, you know, that might come up. Anyway, just a few verses from Galatians chapter 3. Now before faith came... We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And then to 1 Corinthians Chapter 14, and uh, this is in, the, in Paul is talking to uh, uh, the Corinthians about worship and about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, and we'll pick up uh, with verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it is reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. 
So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. And then finally, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to pick up verse 11. <clears throat> Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I think probably one of the more controversial issues uh, that are, that's around, and it, it's still around today, is what are women allowed to do? Uh, this actually came up here at City Temple a few months ago uh, because, as you know, we've got a number of men who have been uh, taking turns preaching, and I, and I really love that. But somebody came up to me quietly, I might add, and they came up to me in private, and they said, uh, are women allowed to preach at City Temple? You know, they, they weren't really sure. And I said, yeah, of course, of course they are. In fact, one of the things that many people may not realize about City Temple is that historically, City Temple was on the forefront of women engagement with women. One of the great heroes of uh, Joseph Parker in the 1800s uh, was a woman named Anne Askew, uh, who is the only woman ever to be tortured in the Tower of London, and she was tortured because she was an evangelist. She was tortured and eventually burned at the stake over here at Smithfield uh, because she dared to preach the gospel. And that was, that was one of the heroes. In the, in the 1920s, we actually had an, a woman who was an assistant minister at City Temple uh, who was Anglican, but of course the Anglicans wouldn't even let her speak in church at that time. And so she was here. So this is something that's really been near and dear to our hearts. And it's, it's, it's emerged a little bit. And it's also been compounded because uh, many of you know we're part of a network called HarvestNet International. And HarvestNet is based in eastern Pennsylvania in Lancaster County. Uh, and uh, that's the home of the Amish, you know, so if you ever see the Amish and the buggies and the horses, they don't do electric, you know, that's, that's, there are a lot of Amish people there, there are a lot of Mennonites, and the whole idea in Lancaster County is that women, a woman's place is in the home. You know, so there's just like this subtle, this subtle undercurrent that, you know, that's what women, we, we value women, we love women, but as long as they're silent. And, uh, and HarvestNet started to struggle with this a little bit, not because it doesn't value the uh, women in leadership, it does, well at least it says it does, but it really has a hard time making that leap sometimes. And we've been talking about this now for almost a year, and it's actually one of the few times I've ever seen Karen's hackles kind of rise a little bit in talking about women in leadership. You know, she's not you know, the arch-feminist, uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes it's just the attitude. You know what it's like, right? Uh, the, the attitudes that come through. And so I thought it was about time to say a few words on this and tell you what the Bible says about this. Because you look today in the world, and there's two broad approaches within uh, Christianity. 
One approach is, approach is called the complementarian approach. And this is uh, more the traditional church kind of approach. And the complementarian approach says, well, women were created for one thing, men were created for another, and they complement one another. Uh, and so they have different roles in the church. Not that women are less valuable than men, and not that men are more valuable than women, but they have different kind of roles. And so a woman's role is not to teach and it's not to be in any kind of leadership, that's for the men, uh, but women can teach children and they can do these other things. And by the way, I'm not gonna do justice to anybody's position on this. And then you have the egalitarian approach. And the egalitarian approach is that, well, men and women, they're absolutely equal. They can do everything the same. You know, women are not better than men. Men are not better than women. You know, we're equal and, and equal access to everything in the scriptures. Now, there's a problem with the complementarian approach and the egalitarian approach, and that is neither approach approaches the issue from the Bible. Neither approach is a biblical approach. Both approaches have developed in a cultural context that tries to impose then that cultural view on what the scriptures are saying. You see that clearly with the egalitarian approach because most egalitarians, they dismiss the passages that we read from 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy. They'll say, oh yeah, Paul wrote those, maybe. Some of them say that he didn't write it. Uh, they say, well, Paul wrote those, but he didn't really mean what he said. And, uh, and actually, even if he did mean what he said, that's, that part of the Bible is no longer applicable for us. And obviously the, the problem with that is that it undermines the scripture. Now, the complementarians, they will argue with you that they're actually biblical. But the complementarian approach did not approach the issue from wrestling with the scriptures. They approached the issue from a context, in some cases, of feminism or women's liberation. And they began to approach the issue and go back to the scriptures and kind of justify why it was that only men were doing these things. Both approaches at their heart do not wrestle with the scriptures. And the second problem with both of these approaches is that they both make uh, tertiary issues primary issues. You have primary issues, you have secondary issues, and you have tertiary issues. Primary issues are, did Jesus really die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins and raise bodily from the dead? If you deny a primary issue like that, you're not a Christian. Pure and simple. Secondary issues are issues that are very, very important, like not like whether or not the Bible's inspired. All Christians would agree that it's inspired, but a secondary issue would be when God inspired the Bible, did he dictate exactly the words that the author wrote, or was he controlling the author and inspiring the author so the author wrote exactly what God wanted him to write, but in their own context, environment, and style? Uh, and that's a valid issue, and there's a lot of debate on that. A tertiary issue is some of the issues like, uh, you know, if, if you believe that women must be silent, or if you believe that women should not be silent, guess what? Neither of those will determine whether you're in heaven or hell. That's a tertiary issue. It's important, obviously, but it's not one of the primary or secondary issues. 
And the problem with both the complementarian approach and the egalitarian approach is they approach a tertiary issue and try to make a tertiary issue more like a primary issue. And consequently, they both can subtly start to distort the scriptures and not understand what the scriptures are saying. And so we need to look at this briefly and say, can women, can they teach? Can they be leaders? What's the deal? And to address this, we must address it biblically. Now, I'm not going to cover every single passage there is to cover on this. Obviously, I can't in the time that I have. Uh, and maybe sometime I'll do a longer uh, teaching time to go through with the Greek with, with, uh, and show you different things here. But I'm going to go through things rather briefly. But to understand whether or not what the role of women should be in the life of the church to understand whether or not women can teach, to understand whether or not women can have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we must begin not with that question, but with the issue of who we are in Christ. That is the primary issue. And that is what Paul is addressing in Galatians chapter 3. And he's writing to the Galatians and they're dealing with the whole issue of whether or not you still have to follow the law, and, and they're wrestling with that. But he says, listen, in the Old Testament, we were, we were like children. We were under the law. But now that Jesus Christ has come, we're no longer under the law. In fact, now that Christ has come, by faith in Jesus Christ, we are in union with Jesus. I just spent six weeks on that. We are in union with Jesus. Christ is in us. We are in Christ. And because Christ is in us and we are in Christ, there is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer Greek or Jew. There is no longer male or female because we are one in Jesus Christ. And if we are in Jesus Christ, we receive the covenant of Abraham. We're inheritors of the covenant of Abraham. We are inheritors of the promise. In other words, it's not to say that women are not important, that men are not important. And certainly God does not blur the distinction between men and women. Thank God that he doesn't blur the distinction. You know, I'm happy to be married. I'm happy that there are women in the world. And I hope women that you're happy that there are men in the world. But the point is that in Christ Jesus, we are not men, we are not women, but we are all sons of God. And because we are sons of God, every single one of us have the rights and responsibilities that sons have. Daughters did not receive the inheritance from their fathers. Sons received an inheritance. That means women... You are sons in Jesus Christ, and therefore you receive the full inheritance as sons of God in Jesus Christ. You receive the same Holy Spirit that I receive as a man. You receive the same gifts of the Holy Spirit that I can receive as a man. Now, we don't all receive all the gifts of the Spirit, you understand. The promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus is equally yours as it is mine because we are all sons in Jesus Christ. And there is no distinction then in terms of our relationship with God 
and our relationship with one another in Christ Jesus. And if we start to make a distinction, we start to move outside the witness of the Scriptures. And this makes perfect sense. When you look at Paul and you look at his engagement and the fact that, for example, Paul praises Priscilla and Aquila who discipled Apollos. He doesn't say, I praise Aquila and Priscilla as well. She helped out a little bit. He actually introduces Priscilla, then Aquila, and then they disciple Apollos. Now, why is he able to do that? He's able to do that because they're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. And that is our primary issue. So we must begin with who we are in Jesus Christ and the fact that we are all sons of God in Jesus Christ, men and women. And we're all the bride of Christ. And we're all the body of Christ. And this is our reality. We're all the building of God that we talked about last week. This is our reality. And we must never allow anything to undermine that reality. Okay? Because that's a primary issue for us. Or at least a secondary issue. Certainly not a tertiary issue. So then, in light of that, what do you do with texts like 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy chapter 2? And I'm going to show you here just briefly, if you want to turn there. First of all, let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. We need to set up the whole context of the second half of 1 Corinthians. If you look at chapter 7, the first verse of chapter 7, Paul says this. He says, now about the matters you wrote me about. Now concerning the things you sent me a letter. So what Paul was writing 1 Corinthians in response to a letter that he had received from the church in Corinth asking about a number of issues. And from 1 Corinthians 7 all the way through chapter 15, Paul is addressing the concerns that they raised. And in several places, Paul is quoting from their letter. But the problem is, Greek doesn't have quotation marks like we have in English. It's harder in the Greek to delineate all the time whether or not Paul is quoting. But it's important to understand that. So now let's fast forward. What is he doing in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14? 12, 13, and 14, he's dealing with the issue of can women and men, what are spiritual gifts? And the Corinthians, they had a problem. They thought that tongues was the highest spiritual gift, speaking in tongues. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. It's not, not everybody's going to speak in tongues. There are a lot of different gifts, and it's the Holy Spirit that decides what gifts you get. You don't make that decision. And the Spirit's going to decide what gifts you get, uh, and He puts you in order in the body of Christ, because you're all part of the body. And so now, but the most important thing about how you exercise your spirit, spiritual gifts is love. You've got to show love. That's chapter 13. And then He says, now let me give you a contrast. Let's take two gifts as an example. Prophecy and speaking in tongues. And he spends most of chapter 14 talking about those two gifts. And then he says, down where we started the text, he says, so you can all prophesy one by one. In the Greek, that word all means, guess what? All. So everybody can prophesy. Men and women. They can prophesy one by one because the, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And then you get this, as in all the churches of the saints, women should keep silent. 
Where does this come from? This is a quote from the letter that the Corinthians sent to Paul. Paul is quoting them because the men were trying to silence the women and say that the women couldn't prophesy, but only the men could prophesy. And so when they wrote Paul, they said, hey, Paul, something like, isn't it true that as in all the churches of the saints that women should keep silent? Please tell me so I can tell my wife so she'll shut up. And so this is a quote. And it goes down to the word or in the ESV. Is the text up there? Uh, let's go down to the next one there. Uh, let's go down to the next one. Oh, no, verse 36. Stay there at the bottom. Verse 36, or. That word or is weird, isn't it? Are you reading that? Did you catch how that's weird? There's a reason that that's weird. That's a bad translation of that word. Uh, literally, in the Greek, the word is hey. Uh, that's literally how you pronounce the Greek word, hey. And this word is an exclamation. And most translators don't translate this word. Or if they do translate it, they translate it as or. Now, sometimes it can mean or if it's in the right context. But this isn't the right context. So Paul has just quoted, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. That's the letter. That's when the Corinthians letter to Paul stops at that point in time. And then verse 36 starts with, what? Are you a bunch of idiots? Did the word of God come from you? That's the effect of that word in that passage. So Paul is contrasting what they have just, what he's just quoted with what he's been teaching. He's anticipated their argument that women should keep silent, they can't prophesy, and, and, and he, then he puts the argument out there and he says, what? No, the word of God did not originate with you. Say what? That's where the title of the sermon comes in, by the way. I wanted to just title the sermon, Women Should Keep Silent. But I thought maybe some people who looked at it on the internet, you know, might get the wrong impression and not listen to it because they assumed what it was saying. Uh, but literally what he's saying, women should, women should keep silent. Say what? Say what? And then he goes on and he says, if, let anybody who's spiritual understand that what I'm saying is a command from the Lord. Everybody can participate in worship, but everything must be done decently and in order. So Paul is not in these verses saying that women should keep silent in the church. In fact, Paul is doing the opposite. Now why do people miss this? Because they miss the broader context. We have a lot of people who like to proof text and they like to look at little verses outside of context and you will not see this unless you know what Paul is doing through this entire eight chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians. So we deal with that one. 1 Timothy, though, that's tougher. 1 Timothy is a bit tougher. And so, yeah, oh, there. Let a woman learn quietly with all submission. Boy, I tell you, if only, right, guys? You know, if only. What is Paul doing here? Now, we, again, we have to look at the larger context that we didn't read. Paul here, he starts out and he says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. And women, 
By the way, women, I want you to dress modestly in a way that is proper. Uh, why is this an issue? Because in, in Ephesus of the day, there were fashion trends that basically would cause women to kind of expose themselves a bit. Oh, we've even had that at City Temple. I remember a lot of years ago, so it's nobody that's here. A lot of years ago, we had a young woman coming uh, who was very, very attractive and wore her clothes way, way too tightly. You know, and we just had to have one of the ladies in the church take her side one time and say, you know, maybe this isn't really the right way to dress in this context. And she was appreciative of it because we did it the right way. You know, there's no shaming or anything like that. It's just one of those things. So Paul's writing this, and he's writing to women. And notice what happens here in this verse. In verse, go back there, verse 11. He's just talked about women, and now what does he say? Let a woman. And this is absolutely essential here. Paul has moved from the plural to the singular. There's even commentaries, commentators, uh, who, people who have written commentaries that don't catch this. But Paul has made a distinct shift here. So he's talked about propriety. And he's anticipating a question from the Ephesians. If you're talking about women should dress modestly, well, doesn't that mean that women should just be in the corner? You know, that they're not really involved in the life of the church that, that modesty and propriety in the church means that women are silent. And so Paul starts to address this question. And what does he say? He says, let a woman learn. This is the first thing. The word learn here is the same word from which we get disciple. In other words, let a woman be discipled. So Paul is saying here, women can be discipled just like men are discipled. So any woman who is a follower of Jesus can become a disciple and should be a disciple. And the woman should learn, what's this word, quietly. It also occurs later on. Quietly, it can mean that, but actually it can also mean being at peace, being tranquil, not being disruptive, uh, not being stirred up, uh, not being impassioned, uh, and there was another issue that was going around in the, in the world at the time, and that was that some women, particularly, and it was, uh, tend to be female cults, pagan cults, would exalt women and cause women to do ecstatic dances, you know, where their hair goes out and, and, and it becomes quite sexual and everything. And so Paul says here, a woman should learn indeed. You know, and so let her learn quietly and in full submission. It's not the word, same word submission as in uh, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's really the word, just like take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, it's, it's the idea, let a woman learn quietly and in full submission to the Lord. So women can learn. Women can learn. Well then, what does he go on to say? He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have a, th okay, well this sounds like, you know, then women can't teach anyone. No, remember, look, it's a singular. It's a singular. He says, I don't, per I, I don't permit a singular woman to disciple. And this word teach is the word kind of teaching disciple and the word uh, or to exercise authority, that or 
in the Greek connects those two concepts together. So this is not two different things, but the or with connected with teach, the or helps to explain what is meant by teaching. It's not two different things. So literally what Paul is saying here is I don't permit a woman to disciple a man. That's what Paul is prohibiting. He is not prohibiting women teaching. Going back to Priscilla and Aquila. In this case, Priscilla and Aquila together were discipling Apollos. Priscilla did not disciple Apollos by, by herself. Now why is this? I think there's a couple of reasons, and this is just conjecture. Uh, one is the issue of propriety, but the other, and, and I don't think that, this doesn't mean that women are inferior to men or anything like that, but consistently over the last 30 years of ministry, I, men disciples tend to be stronger when they're discipled by men than when they're discipled by women. Now that is not saying that women can't teach, that is not saying that women can't disciple, and that is not saying that women don't have anything of use to men. They do in all those accounts. But on a one-to-one -one basis, if a woman is discipling a man, I've not seen that happen successfully in over 30 years of ministry now. And I have often seen the men who come out of that kind of relationship be weaker, not stronger. And, and I think that there's, the dy dynamics of that have nothing to do with the quality of men or women. It has everything to do with the importance of men-to-men -men relationships and men-to-men -men discipling. Uh, that, I'm not saying that women can't preach. I'm not saying that they shouldn't teach in, in groups of men. Certainly they should. But this is a one-to-one -one discipling relationship. And we see that very, very clearly. Now, how do we support that? Well, you continue on in the verse. Uh, why? Why does he not permit, permit a woman to teach in a way that she has a discipling authority over a man, but instead she should just, you know, she should be at peace and not be pushing that? And Paul goes on and says, well, you know, the reason is that, uh, that Adam was created first and then Eve was created first. Uh, and then a lot of guys start saying, oh, yeah, okay, that's right. Men are better than women because we were created first. No, that's not what he's saying. He says, Adam was created first, and then Eve, and Eve, but the woman was, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Now, men, unless you think, oh, wow, you know, that means that Adam was better because he wasn't deceived. No, Adam sinned with both eyes open. That's why we talk about Adam's sin and not Eve's sin. Do you know that? So this is not elevating men above women. What is it doing? Notice, Adam was created first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, Eve was deceived, and then what happened? She became a transgressor. Now this does not mean that she was deceived and she sinned. This means that she was deceived and then what did she do? She led Adam into sin, out of her deception. Now whether or not you like Paul's argument, what he's saying here, he's looking back in the past, 
and he's saying that Eve was the one who was deceived, and after her deception, she was the one who transgressed, who transcended, who went over her boundaries, and actually then led Adam into deception. And so because of this, Paul's saying, I don't want a woman to disciple a man in a one-to-one -one discipling relationship. And then he goes on and says something really, really, sounds really controversial, but she, now notice, it's still singular here. It's important. But she will be saved by childbearing. Again, a lot of men, you know, love this, you know, yeah, women, you know, barefoot and pregnant, that's where you should be. You know, if you're a real woman, barefoot and pregnant. That's not what he's saying. There is a definitive article that is almost never translated here. It says, she will be saved through the bearing of a child. Who is it that's saved through the bearing of the child? Who's the subject here? It's Eve. What was the promise after Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3? The promise was that the seed of the woman would rise up and strike the serpent. We are all saved through the bearing of that child. So what Paul is saying here, he's not trying to push women lower, he's actually bringing women back up. So he said, okay, Eve, Eve was created second, she wasn't created first, she was the one deceived, then she led Adam into sin, but hey guys, don't be too hard on the women because she's saved through the bearing of the child. Who's Jesus? And then notice what Paul does, he goes back into the plural. If they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So he is saying not that women cannot teach. He is saying here that women should learn like any other disciple, quietly and under authority, remembering that a woman should not be the singular discipler of a man because of this dynamic between men and women that is seen all the way back in, in, at the beginning of creation, but at the same time understand that this does not denigrate women, it elevates women because women, like us all, are saved through the bearing of the child. And even though, yes, the deception came through Eve, so does salvation come through Eve, through the bearing of the child. And all women can experience that salvation if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Neither of these passages is Paul saying that women should keep silent and women shouldn't teach. Paul is telling us very clearly here that women are sons of God just like men are sons of God. That women have a role in the kingdom just like men have a role in the kingdom. That women can have spiritual gifts just like men can have spiritual gifts. You know, somebody asked me, you know, can a woman be an apostle, a prophet, an uh, evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher? And I say, yes, they can. How do I know? Because they're given by Christ. They're not chosen by men. They are gifts of Christ to the church. And women are gifts of Christ to the church just like men are gifts of Christ to the church. In saying that, we're not going to confuse the two. 
doesn't mean that women can be men, nor does it mean that men should be women. I believe that men should be men, and we should rise up in the fullness of our manhood. And I believe women should be women, and they should rise up in the fullness of their womanhood. But I believe that we all should rise up in the fullness of our sonship in Jesus Christ. Because that is how we have been recreated in Christ Jesus. That is who we are in Christ Jesus. And if we are going to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not going to be men that do it, and it's not going to be women that do it. It's going to be men and women in Christ together who do it in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God in Jesus Christ as sons of God, as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, as the building of God. And this is our design, and this is our destiny. And so we embrace the leadership of women. And we affirm that, just like we embrace the leadership of men, because it all comes from Jesus. And it all, properly understood and exercised, goes to Jesus' glory. You know, we would resist a woman saying, I should be leader because I'm a woman. There's no woman that should be a leader because she's a woman. Women should be leaders because of who they are in Christ Jesus. There's no man that should be a leader because he's a man. Men are leaders because of who they are in Christ Jesus. We are who we are in Christ Jesus. And we love men and women together because together we are created in the image of God. And together, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are the hope for the world. Father God, I thank you and I praise you and I honor you because you are such a good and gracious God. I pray, Lord God, that you would help people understand your word, that you'd help people understand these scriptures, what they are actually saying, not what people have tried to make them say, in some cases for many, many years. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to extend grace to those who don't understand it this way because these scriptures are difficult. They're not as clear as we'd like them. The language is not as easy as we'd like it to be. And so we give grace to those who don't understand it. We give grace to those even in our midst who might be struggling with it and wrestling with these issues. But I pray, Father God, that you would show us together what it means to be sons of God, men and women together. That you'd show us together as men and women what it means to be the body of Christ and the bride of Christ and the building of God what it means to be a holy priesthood and a kingdom unto our God. Not for our sake, but for the sake of the world around us. We love you and we worship you and we exalt you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.